Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders in the hospitality and restaurant industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, we're joined by Hasha Chanrai, CEO and founder of Syrah Hospitality, a not-for-profit enterprise. They partner with luxury hotels to create pop-up hotel training schools in rural areas of the world to empower local people with life and work skills. One of their clients is Virgin Limited, and the program has been endorsed by Sir Richard Branson himself. I sat down by Hasha to talk about leadership, the power of giving back, and how you can transform people's life through education and training. Grab headphones, drink, and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast, Hasha. Flown in directly from New York. That's uh, right. So you had a bit of sleep. And, a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I'm very, I'm very happy for, to to welcome you here to the Hospitality Maverick community, and I can tell the uh, people that tuned in today, as you probably already heard in the intro, you're in for a real special treat and a very special story. Thank you so much for having me. You are the CEO of uh, a non-profit organization that helps communities getting skills right. that they normally would be out of reach to get. So can you tell a bit more about that? So yes, I'm the CEO and founder of Syrah Hospitality. We partner with luxury and lifestyle hotels all over the world and we give local communities that otherwise may not have the knowledge and skills the opportunity to then find employment within luxury and lifestyle hospitality at an entry-level position to start. How do you get out and find these communities? You can't only call it a business model, it's a not-for-profit, but it's a business sure, model. Sure, how does yeah. the business model work and how, how does this all come out in the sure. real world? It is a non-profit with a revenue driver, which is not typical for non-profits. Um, the way it works is the hospitality operators typically fund the program and the pop-ups. So they fund it in its entirety from when we launch the pop-up hotel school. We're on the ground about four months minimum before the hotel's hiring. So we actually time it so that when the hotel needs to hire, we work backwards. We go out into the local community as close to the hotel as possible, and we literally hand out flyers. It's quite a grassroots kind of organization, and we are putting up posters. We're spreading the word through WhatsApp or Craigslist or whatever the form of communication is. And we want to spread the word to almost double the amount of employees that the hotel's needing to hire. So if you're looking to hire 50, we want to take on a school about 100 students. And we're on the ground, like I said, two months before the pop-up launches. And we interview the students because it's free of charge. We interview the students four times before we accept them into the program. And that's done through a WhatsApp video, 15-second interview, and online or in on paper if they're not accessible to online. Then we do group talent days and then a one-to-one to to really make sure they have what we call and and what the industry knows as the hospitality gene, really the gene of service. And at that point, we then accept them into an eight-week pop-up hotel school and we train local trainers. So we identify in those two months prior to the school, we'll find local trainers and we will do a train the trainer, which takes about a month. And then really between five and ten local trainers will then launch the eight-week pop-up hotel school where students will come four days a week, four hours a day, either in the morning or the evening. During that program, we have fine dining experiences and we have luxury hotel excursions as well for the students. And we teach quite a holistic hospitality curriculum. Where do you go and do these pop-ups in the world? Because uh, I can imagine that there's many remote areas where you see hotels popping up in the moment. Sure. We've done 
five so far. I started in 2015 in downtown LA in South Central at a place called Home, which is a nonprofit. And we moved then to Todos Santos and partnered with Liz Lambert and Bunkhouse, now part of the Standard Hotel Group in Mexico. And then we did another one in Mexico on the other side of Cabo with Costa Palmas Development, which is where the Four Seasons Amon will be coming up. And we did one last year with a group of hotels in the British Virgin Islands, including Virgin Limited, Rosewood, Autograph, and Bitter End Resort. Wow. So why why did you see this this opportunity? Because when I got in contact with you and I was told by a friend, uh, two friends actually, you need to check this out, Michael. That mm-hmm. this is quite maverick. This is very different. Where was did you saw the the opportunity? Because there's definitely mm-hmm. a need because you are in, in business and right. it's happening. Was that something right. you set out to do, or was it something you right. saw on your journey? Because you have a journey from hotels as well. Right. Right. I worked in real estate and hospitality for about 10, 15 years after graduating. I saw the opportunity looking. For for a way to marry a passion for hospitality and travel and people with a need to do nonprofit work. My father worked with Mother Teresa when we were kids and so I was constantly looking for a way to connect these two worlds and I was inspired by her as one woman and what she did really helping people one by one and the nature of how she would serve. So inspired by her, inspired by my father's philanthropy, I was looking for a way to combine these two worlds and came across a school in Cambodia. I used to live in Southeast Asia working for Six Senses and on a weekend away I came across this organization called Salabai and Salabai was really taking women who otherwise may have had to go into the sex trafficking trade and bringing them into luxury hotels as housekeepers and so that to me connected the worlds and I felt something alive at that point and was trying to understand how do we do this with a revenue driver because the last thing you want to do is rely on donor fatigue and then I was lucky to get into Cornell's Hotel School and wrote a business plan there. And that's when I was brainstorming with two colleagues and we realized it's the hotels should pay. The hotels are the ones who have access to this talent that they're struggling to find. The hotels are the ones who will benefit from the CSR, from the PR, from the long-term relationships with the community, with the lack of community resentment, which can happen when hotels open. All of a sudden, you've got community diplomacy, you've got lower turnover, you've got the positive buy-in, and you have access on schedule to well-trained local talent. So that's where it all it all came from. The visual that I have when someone says, where does it come from, was when I was working at the Amman in Sri Lanka. And as an emerging tourist destination, there were so many hotels coming up and I would see the local community that would just kind of peer in. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't, No one ever told them that actually you could work here. They knew they couldn't afford it as a guest. They could see luxury hotels coming up and they could only imagine, I assume, the prices. And there's a mentality that someone else will get that job and it's not for them. And I think, what we do at a very grassroots level is just go into these communities and give them the opportunity to dream a little bigger or a lot bigger. What is the core of the problem you're solving? What is the, is it a hotels turnover problem? Is it upskilling communities? I can hear different <laughs> stories. So that's, that's more than one thing you're solving, I, would, I guess. I would say, yes, I would say that's two of them. I think turnover, our rates of turnover are less than 10% as opposed to the US market at 73.8, I believe. So our rates of turnover are, are a lot less for a few reasons. And that's for the students that goes through your program. For our graduates, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who are then placed at the hotels. I think when you're training groups of people together, 
as a cohort and moving them from school to work and they have a support system, I think they stay a lot longer. I think we are very careful to cover the rate of turnover and the cost of turnover in our curriculum so that when they do decide they're going to leave a job and really they may be a bellman and they get another dollar as a bellman down the road, what are they sacrificing and how much is that costing the hotel? And really getting to think about work-life balance and yes, you get another dollar, but are you losing your support system or what's your commute or what's your career path and are you setting yourself back? So we really focus on turnover as a key metric, but we also believe that hotels need to start giving before they take. And by that, I mean give education, give opportunity, give what you can establish yourself as a positive brand before you then come in and take the resources and potentially bring in a lot of traffic, a lot of the negatives, unfortunately, that hotels can bring in. So we believe that we bring in community diplomacy, we bring in lower turnover, and we bring in access to well-trained local talent, which a lot of our past clients have said they didn't even know existed before we were there. What we're not is HR. So (laughs) I need to make that clear. HR do a fabulous job, I'm sure, managing the people once they're hired. These people that we find, people with the hospitality gene, these graduates, they are almost diamonds in the rough, and they don't exist before we come into the community. So it wouldn't be possible for HR to find them. Um, We find them, we see they have the hospitality gene, and we cultivate that gene so that they are then able, with the confidence and knowledge, to be hired by the hotels. That's brilliant. And I guess, as you said, you're not HR, but you're actually helping them solve a a massive challenge, I guess, if you look at it, as you just said, an industry number from the US. And I I don't know what the hotel turnover rate is in the UK, but (laughs) if you just take a restaurant, the talent crisis, as they call it over here, has become immersion as well in in the UK because somebody says Brexit. I often say a a bit brutal. It's probably not a talent crisis. There's still people that want to work, but we probably have a leadership crisis the way we do things. Totally. Because people don't leave an industry or a company, they leave their leaders. So we need need to reflect a bit on that, all of us, including myself as well. What is that that went wrong on that journey in a way? So so how do you see the industry? Because you are working in luxury hotels. There's so many brands and the brands are buying the brands and hotel groups are becoming bigger and bigger and the true luxury hotel experience. When I think of luxury hotels, I think of Six Senses, I think of Amman, I think of the lifestyle luxury hotels myself. And I believe that the way that's going is that, of course, everyone's looking for experiences. Everyone's looking for authenticity. Every, you know, these buzzwords, community and local. I see a trend in hotels that are doing the kind of pop-up hotels. I see a lot of kind of glamping in a way, unfortunately, to use the word glamping. But I do see that's the way that luxury hotels are going. And they're looking for kind of the one-off experiences and the kind of six months pop-up. You can be in this untouched location that's never been inhabited by a hospitality offering before. All of a sudden, you have this five-star service, which is something that we're trying to provide for an upcoming project in South America. And all of a sudden, you are there. They've They're in national parks. I believe the one that I'm thinking of in specifically and no one's ever been there before and it's these kind of one of a kind unique once in a lifetime opportunities I believe that's where the luxury hotel experience is going yeah and I guess that also gives another challenge because suddenly you mobilization of of people in an industry like hotels or hospitality Mm. is expensive but also moving people is not always easy I had a conversation with another guy the other day around that was China I heard they rolling out 80 hotels across (laughs) tier 2 
in tier three cities, so remote locations, and people don't want to move because their families or right. other things that tie them to an area. Yeah. So I guess that's where a solution like yours comes in. And I guess that, you know, for six months, that's a tough one to, you know, launch and pack down again. It is a tough one, but nor, I mean, nor should they move, right? And that essentially, you know, leads to one of one of the reasons we have such high turnover, because you're bringing in people from overseas or you're poaching talent from other hotels. And when you poach talent from other hotels, it's much like when you're uh, in a relationship. If you decide to start a relationship with someone you know who's cheating, mm. similarly, you shouldn't be surprised if they're going to cheat on you, mm. right? So that's the way I see it. You might find the talent, you might be able to steal them for a quick second, but then they'll go off to the next bright, shiny thing that's waved in their direction. And so I don't believe that is the way forward. I believe the way forward is to constantly be training that local community right around the hotel. And even if it is time consuming, and even if it is expensive, it's the long-term return on investment and it's really what you should do as hotel owners and operators that have so much potential as the world's biggest industry to make a difference in today's world. It's a strengthen your cultural muscle because you actually make people belong. They get more than just a job. Actually, they right. create an opportunity to me. They actually invested heavily in me in, right. in, in the upfront. And I think like everybody knows that if you really get a, a start, that's an amazing thing. And they also, when you have to say goodbye, it's amazing. Everything that happens in between doesn't matter. You actually, you start to build a very unique culture culture in a way or maybe they don't want to leave they just know I can't get that what I'm getting here because right. that's, that's an incredible start for people that maybe didn't have much outlook exactly. on, on the future Exactly. I think. What we find that's really interesting, and that's one of the many takeaways I took away from the pilot in downtown LA, was that these kids, in that time it was kids, now we have anyone from 16 to 60. They were coming together, I think a lot of the reasons is because they didn't ever come together before. And this was one of the first times that they would see each other every week and twice a week. And just that feeling of knowing people, even if you live in the same neighborhood, they often don't know each other. And so the bonds that are formed during the eight-week school is often the bonds that will keep them together when they are all working in the same hotel, much like they do at Hotel San Cristobal in Todos Santos. We talked a bit about before what the impact the program had for the hotel but mm. more the, the commercial or business kind of thing you can say well what about the, the community suddenly that you're upskilling you know people maybe with very few skill or no skill and maybe right. never had a job before right. what happens in the community have you started looked at that what are, when people suddenly start to get you know transferable skills because a lot of hospitality skills like teamwork customer service can be used in other jobs as totally. well totally we focus like I said quite a holistic hospitality so it's everything from communication to service recovery and, and kind of the basics, what hotel operators are looking for. So attention to detail, sense of urgency, how to take initiative. We almost work backwards. We understand from the employers, what is it that you're looking for in these employees? And then we teach those skills plus more. And one of the other topics we teach sustainability, personal finances, everything we feel almost life skills that these students need, as well as hands-on technical. But we also added in entrepreneurship last year in the British Virgin Islands. And I feel that it's important for hotels not only to invest in the people they want to hire but invest in the community as a whole and start to think like leaders and these employees even though they're starting at entry level need to understand what a leadership mindset is which is something I would love for you to come and guest speak on <laughs> in our upcoming project in Namibia. <laughs> we'll we also, be there. Yeah. <laughs> so entrepreneurship I think is really important and last year we were lucky enough to have Richard Branson come to one of our panels where the students had pitched as much like a shark tank kind of environment 
environment and we were donated by a bank in the British Virgin Islands a thousand dollars for one of the students who won the pitch and I feel that this kind of education is not just giving back hospitality but it's really saying to the community where a hotel where developers or where operators and sometimes they're opening or reopening in the case of BVI after the hurricanes we're looking to invest in you as people and I think that's that's one of the key points is that hotels even start to look at employees like people and not employees and who are they and why are they there and one of my colleagues at Syra is often saying to me understand the why what 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 is it they're looking for is it the money is it to escalate themselves what is driving them do they love the people do they love the hotel what what is it that they want to be there for and I think that that's one of the ways the hotels actually invest in communities understanding what can we give that you know is kind of an invaluable long-lasting relationship it's not buying the coffee and it's not supporting the artisans necessarily it's going to the original meaning of local what is a local it's not an adjective it's a person it's an inhabitant of a community and that's really who the hotels are addressing when they use our pop-up hotel schools they're addressing the people and they're giving them to me one of the best gifts you can give which is education yeah and i guess that's a, an industry i've always said you call it life skills i, I call it exactly the same you have a very big responsibility often in hospitality and restaurant because you are you know taking young people or mm. people that didn't have the opportunity and you actually need to give them a second chance and take right. them to the next phase in their life from a skill point of view because often they maybe feel a bit lost you have a massive opportunity and responsibility I think that's a very good way of saying it how can you actually invigorate their own why and maybe if you can give them a journey that's much better than you know you need to make a profit of course but right. they're not just a resource to use they're right. actually people you can actually give a, you know something bigger than that and they will probably remember that company doing that forever they still seem to be contacting us a few years yeah. later we're not yeah. quite sure where our cutoff ends a lot of it also is convincing the parents of the students and they are often they have these deep imprinted beliefs from their parents core beliefs that we're challenging and especially for example in the British Virgin Islands they're often taught that housekeeping is you know beneath them and the reason that they work in hotels the parents they used to the kids the reason we work in hotels is so you don't have to. And so we're going in and saying, no, hospitality can transport you to different places. You can be the owner one day. You can be the general manager. You know, we're challenging what people have been telling them and their parents have been telling them for so long and that service is servitude and the BVI. And we're saying, no, service is, is a gift yeah. and, and something that you can derive great pleasure from. You can also become your own boss and, and start your own companies through hospitality. I think that's very critical Would you say that not only for, for what you're doing out there but also in a general industry because we have a reputation and parents don't like their young people <laughs> to go there and the peop- young people have a you know a perception of how it is to work in, in hospitality and restaurants mm. and, and we have a job of stopping that because some of it comes from because things that happen is true the people become more informed with the internet so we work on a project in the moment where it's exactly about that because they said we need we need people we need to do a recruitment thing and there's a group of restaurants going together and doing it under umbrella and where I said to them I don't think actually it's about recruitment it's mm. actually about people believing that you are a certain type of employer and you need to change that in their mindset that you actually care right and it comes back deeply down to care we come past a time in in history I think where it's all about materialistic things and mm. the next thing is exactly also about actually having a job you, you love and you like right. and of course it has to pay for the bills that's right. the basics but yeah right. so I think it's very interesting what you're saying that even though in remote areas like that there will be a resistance mm-hmm. to go into hospitality do you see this uh, concept be rolled out 
not like more into you know more the Western world where hotels has quite rigorous mm. training, but they have massive talent challenges. They do. I think they do find it interesting. I think the way I see it working in the U.S. is because of the tax credits. So there are these these huge tax credits, anywhere from twelve hundred dollars to ninety six hundred dollars per employee hired from a certain demographic. And in the U.S. especially, I think the hotels potentially either don't know about these credits, but I think the bigger reason they're not hiring from these demographics and speaking to nonprofits is because of the risk, right? So you're taking ex-convicts or you know people who were on drugs, and and you're taking them into hotel guest rooms, and so all of a sudden you're a luxury lifestyle hotel, and your guests, you're fearful, may be at risk. And so I understand that, but what we would do is be the mediator. So we would come in, we would speak to the nonprofits, we would vet those students. Essentially, what we do is is vet them over four months. It's a four-month interview, two months of interviewing just to get into the program, two months of coming to the school, and at that point we can really vouch for that person and say you should hire this person. And essentially, with these tax credits, hotels are going to cover more than the cost of the hotel school. So I feel that that's a really interesting model that I would like to see in the U.S. I mean, the U.S. Yes, they have a talent shortage for sure, and I do see it coming over. It's an easier understanding for resort locations at the moment, is what I'm realizing mm. when they're opening. That's immediately need. Exactly. They're, they're thinking, where are we going to find the talent? That's when we come in much quicker. When it's Austin or when it's you know L.A. Although the homeless problem is out of control in L.A. and the number of hotels opening in downtown L.A. is is almost ridiculous. And it is up to the hotels. One of the hotels that did support us is a hotel called Proper, which I'm a big fan of, and and they are true to their word in that they do want to support the community. But it, it is a challenge when you also know that there's a huge pocket you know of talent that you can find in these markets. Why would you necessarily pay for a pop-up hotel school? Is what they wonder. And I feel that if you see the long-term return, if you look at turnover, if you do really care about entering the community in a mindful way. You would invest in a pop-up hotel school, but a lot of hotels are now using buzzwords like, you know, what we really care about sustainability and entering the community mindfully, etc. But how much do you really care? Is my question. Yeah, and I, I think you, you're spot on. I think it's in, in hospitality there has been, you know, a lot of faceless thing going on the last couple of years, where we now will see everybody understands that you cannot just say it; you actually have to do it because mm. people are going to find out. They're going to figure it out, or they're going to find out that you were not 100 authentic and you see there's definitely a change happening to the, the positive uh, I totally agree with you you said there was a risk for you know if we were in the mainland or in the US but I guess also because the people that's involved in this are people have done it it's people with hospitality background let's just you haven't told that the people who work yourself you've been on Cornell you worked in the industry for years and you have other people joined your organization that actually nice. there's been you know senior senior people in the industry. So right. I guess that's also where you actually, in a way, de-risk the project in a way. Exactly. I think one of the biggest problems with, with hospitality education at the moment is that it's taught by teachers that have maybe never worked in the industry. And so I feel when we hire teachers, we look for people who have worked in the industry. They may not be teachers. And the industry is huge. You know, it's not just hotels. It could be someone who's worked in restaurants or hospitals or, you know, a broad range of hospitality services. But you do need people who understand the needs of the luxury guest and can teach that. So I feel that one of the differentiators of, of our trainers is that they're not necessarily coming from the school training background, but they do understand the industry and they do understand the needs of our clients, essentially. So it's like, you know, really, we didn't talk about that before, but it's like quite hands-on. It's practical, you know. Mm -hmm. 
real world would couple with the good theory totally on. totally yeah. we do food and beverage back of house front of house and mm. um, we do front office we do housekeeping it's very bespoke so one time a hotel client said you know can you find someone to look after the horses and the stables so we were going to fly in a girl who was actually 15 and had been working with horses since she was two from the US and have her teach because this for her was an amazing experience one of my current full-time employees is actually a guest trainer who came down for two weeks and taught leadership last year in the mm. BVI. And she said to me, oh, I'm just all in, all into Syrah. And how do I how do I become a part of it? And I tried to figure out how she can become a part of it. But I think it's an amazing experience for people who are coming from overseas as well. And when we do kind of guest training. But yes, that's essentially, we do technical, we do what we call experiential, and we do theoretical as well. But our classes are not really slides and projectors anymore. They are outside. If you work in hospitality, you're not really the academic type. You know, I was shocked that I would get into Cornell, to be honest. I've always been more street smart than book smart. My twin sister's always book smart. And so for me, it was a surprise just getting in. But typically, I would say if you're working in the industry, you put us in desks and make us look at slides and, you know, you fall asleep. So we do our classes outside as much as possible. We make them super interactive. We want the students to enjoy coming to class and if there was another word for class we would we would use that yeah because again that's an old paradigm isn't it like right. again it's also about how do you actually facilitate learning that was really right. interesting because yeah yeah you're not going to engage people that want jobs like that they didn't go into hospitality or choose a, a career like that because they want to sit behind a desk <laughs> or a projector exactly. i normally call it get the, the if it's on a leadership level get the manager out of the office because right. that's not where they get energy from they've right. just been forced to fill out forms exactly that doesn't give any sense so what is next what's coming up of, of projects in the next couple of months are you living in on on three continents or <laughs> well I am I'm doing a couple of speaking opportunities yep. one will be Skift Travel yep. Forum in New York in September another will be Pure Marrakesh yeah And then we are off to Namibia with a brand called Habitus, yeah. who I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. And they are very mindful about they, the way they enter communities. They started off in Tulum and now they're launching in Namibia in, I believe, end of October, November. So we'll be partnering with them to do a shorter pop-up this time. And we'll be on the ground for about a month instead wow. of the typical two to three months. It's going to be an intense month. It is. It is. It's going to be intense. I think I'm really excited about Namibia because it's the largest socioeconomic divide and the gap is really the largest between the rich and the poor. So for us, it's it's really that community that we've been wanting to reach. And so far, we've been receiving WhatsApp videos and it's really encouraging to see how excited they are about this opportunity. I think the almost feeling of entitlement that we see sometimes in the Caribbean that we saw sometimes in the British Virgin Islands doesn't exist there and they just want to learn because much like the Mexican culture they believe from what I see that knowledge is power and they see this as an opportunity for them to grab onto and hopefully soon enough we'll recognize that Habitats are the ones that are providing this once in a lifetime opportunity they don't unfortunately have the funds to receive the Cornell certificates the eCornell service excellence module that we offer as well with Syrah but something I hope we can bring in the future. So you have a partnership with Cornell? We do. Mm -hmm. We have a partnership with uh, eCornell and we do have many 
well, I would say a few Cornell professors on the board of SIRA as well. But we do implement a lot of what I was taught at Cornell and what is currently being taught through Cornell graduates and professors into the curriculum where relevant. Mm. So we are advocates of the school, of the hotel school. You mentioned technology, WhatsApp, you use that as well to, to engage with. But I guess as you, in a way, indicated, mm. when you go to these communities, sometimes there can still be a gap in technology adaption. I don't, I don't know how widespread a smartphone and right. stuff like that is out right. there. I, I guess that builds some barriers as well for, for you in a way. But it gives you also opportunities because I guess technology is evolving everywhere right. and you can use that as a do the heavy lifting for you in many ways. It does. I think WhatsApp is key. I think everyone in the world outside of maybe New York or London are communicating, even in New York and London, are communicating by WhatsApp. Yeah. WhatsApp and Facebook are the ways to really spread the word as well when we're not down there in, in person as yet. So I think that's key for actually recruiting the students. I think when we did the eCornell modules online in the British Virgin Islands, it was a little challenging to use the laptops that the government donated for the course. But even then, it was difficult for students to connect to Wi-Fi often. And it was on and off and to actually be able to navigate the keyboard and things like that. So that can be challenging, but we will help them because we do recognize how valuable that Cornell certificate will be or qualification, I should say, or recognition will be on their resume. Even if they don't quite realize it as yet, we know the value that it will take for them. So we'll struggle through technology issues for the, for those reasons. Yeah, and I guess that's another skill they need to be trained on. Mm-hmm. It's a basic life skill now, exactly. how to use technology if you haven't been born with a smartphone in your hand. Right, right. And you have no. to learn how to utilize technology. And I think also in the wider industry, there is a, is a bit of fear of technology. and the Totally. Industry. In the older generation, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the fear of technology is real, mm. but I think it's easily overcome. And the power of it is there even in the most remote markets. How do you get yourself going and find the inspiration and energy? Because as any business, uh, I guess this is not just in come just crawling in the door to you you need to do quite some hard work to get these projects off the ground so where do you find your energy and who's your heroes in, <laughs> in, in all that to keep it going five years is like a magic milestone for many businesses right it has been five years who are my heroes Liz Lambert is high up there very high up there. I think when I look at who's taken the risk, if you call it a risk, on pop-ups, and all of our risk takers and prior clients have said they want to do it again. So it paid off. But I think I think when someone like her can see the vision, you know, and she can see the return, and she was the one who said, would you come to Toro Santos for the very first pop-up? And she continues to refer clients, and we continue to talk about working together. I think she definitely inspires me for for just breaking the mold and challenging what people would normally do and the status quo. So I would say in the industry, she definitely speaks to me. I would say, of course, Richard Branson is still very, very inspirational. When I saw him walk into the room to speak to our Cyrus students, a lot of them know him as Richard. He walks in barefoot. It's his home, the British Virgin Islands. But for me, that was a real moment to say, wow, this guy's coming over on his boat for two hours in a non-air-conditioned room, kind of sweating through it and speaking to our students and inspiring them even at his age with all of his accolades. And that means a lot to me to say that, you know, when you see someone who's really true to, to who we only thought that he was. So I would say he continues to be an inspiration. I would say my father, who worked with Mother Teresa and continues to 
he's he's on a mission right now to end curable blindness in Nigeria, in Africa, and in India. And so for him, he feels everyone has the right to the basics, whether it's eyesight, clean water, or primary health care. So he partnered with, with the president of Nigeria last month and opened the first hotel in Abuja to give free cataract operations to, to those who can't afford it. And so I would say he's very much an inspiration to me till today. That's a that's a quite good one. How do you do you lead your yourself in this? Because it's quite a demanding business because you travel a lot. You, you right. can't be in one place. How do you get yourself? up running how do you fuel yourself because a lot of mm. people think oh that's great they're doing all these things that's a reality of you know how how do you manage yourself and get right. yourself going every day you know right i mean honestly meditation and yoga is, mm. is big for me i think i'm taking a more spiritual kind of path in the last couple of years mm-hmm. i think it's a difference of, of what are you working for right are you working for the money because that's going to get boring mm. i think it's the fact that we're working and we can see the students and they're in touch with us and there's a need for what we do and I can see it all over the world and the hotels are finally waking up. How do I stay motivated after five years? It is tricky. It's, I think, the people who keep reaching out, whether it's the students, whether it's hotels that are are excited about the opportunity or whether it's just people who have heard this kind of podcast or interviews and said, thank you for the work that you're doing in the industry. I think that really means a lot to me. I went on a recent trip to Israel and someone gave me advice and said, you pick your three values. And for me, it's growth, it's passion, and its connection. And, you know, growth is is something that I'm understanding right now with your help <laughs> to learn about leadership because we teach leadership. I can write a leadership module, but when you're practicing it, I think that's where I'm finding myself growing because it's a very difficult area that I'm excited to explore with you <laughs> on our one-to-one sessions. But yeah. I think it's not easy to practice what you preach. Well, what we do is, is we preach, right? We train, we teach, but when it comes to actually practicing as a company that's growing from one to three, even in the last few months definitely uh, it's definitely challenging it's a bit like you've been giving the Rubik's Cube and you've never done it before right and that's leadership right can right. be learned but it right. takes a lot of practice and you can do it faster and faster and faster as you practice of course but you need to practice and you have to accept that you are at a certain stage to move you so yeah and when uh, you work by yourself for five years yeah. you know and all of a sudden you have two people to manage and kind of inspire yeah. and patience and everything that leadership involves it's definitely yeah, it's definitely a challenge but we stay motivated just because of the of the connections and people who reach out and people who are inspired and people who want to work with Syrah etc yeah, and, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of talk about the meaning of work in the moment. And you said, you know, if you do it for the money, how long is that actually going to last? Not probably, right. not very long. And yeah, it's again about how can you actually feel that you are giving giving something back? And because if you do that enough, all the other things will follow. I don't call it money, I call it energy. You need energy to your course or your mission. So yeah, so I think it, it's very interesting that you're because uh, like any business, it doesn't come come easy, mm-hmm. I guess. No, and I think that's one of the reasons that people are reaching out because they see that we're not a non-profit that's always going to be struggling and always never have the budget for this, never have the budget for that. We have a revenue driver. Do we need money? Yes. Mm. Are we fundraising? Yes, as well. You know, something I'm starting to do. But I feel that, you know, people are, are attracted to Syrah because it's a high quality. It's a high quality organization. We've partnered with Cornell. We're not trying to bootstrap our way through life forever. And I think that you do need to work somewhere with a person 
purpose. Everyone knows that these days. Is That's how you're going to keep talent when you really have people dedicated to your purpose. The purpose is all over Syrah, but I think it's, it's going to be an interesting road as we expand and need to be in multiple places at the same time and build a team, which is really, it will come down to the people and what, as to whether or not Cyrus succeeds or not in terms of how many people can we find and hire and grow. And luckily with podcasts like these and articles coming out, words getting out even for us to find the right talent. So in the end of the podcast, and we're unfortunate at the end, I always ask the guests to give like one advice to leaders, hospitality people out there. Um, What would your one advice be that people should take away? My one piece of advice, it's something that I'm trying to practice right now. It's something that we teach at Syra um, called the Mandela approach, which I'm sure you're familiar with, where you're the last person to speak. To be honest, it's it's the way that you go around the room and you listen to what everyone else has to say before you speak. And right now, I feel that all anyone ever wants is to be recognized. And one of the ways you feel recognized is when someone actually lets you speak and listens to you, actively listens to you. And I would say that if you want to truly connect, whether you're a leader, whether you're a hospitality operator, if you truly want to connect with your team, you need to show them that they're important and you need to make them feel valued you need to recognize them. And even sometimes recognizing them means just keeping your mouth shut, which is not something easy for me to do. We all struggle with that because you want to be heard. You want to be recognized. We all all need that feel of gratification. That's why I like social media so popular because oh, mm. I got a like. But exactly. I think the thing is quite one of my big inspiration just to touch on advice, I think it's really good advice is that I get a lot of my inspiration from Ken Blanchard and Simon mm. Sinek and they mm-hmm. just did a thing together and they're talking about serving leadership and it actually boils down to listening because then you really understand and when you really understand you can actually take the right actions so you will have the right view on the situation, you can do the right conduct like exactly. Dalai Lama says. So very, very good advice here in the end of the podcast. Thank you. Asha, thank you very much for taking the time coming uh, from New York over and uh, doing the podcast. I think you have other th- reasons to be in London, by the way. But I thought you were coming primarily for talking <laughs> with us. Of I was, yeah. I was, I am. So, yeah. so and uh, thank you very much for contributing to the Hospitality Maverick community. I'm sure we're going to hear much more about you and I'm sure we're going to do uh, another podcast in some time where a lot has happened and your impact have <laughs> been amazing on, on the industry and people's life and community. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Hasha, for sharing your thoughts and approaches with us on how to improve people's lives in rural communities and much more. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, review, share, and let us know what you think. Thank you to Let's Talk Video Production for your ongoing assistance making these podcasts happen. We hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingsa. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and sign up for our newsletters and updates at Hospitality Maverick. Thanks for listening and be Maverick.